Good evening. Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Surely we all recognize that famous line from the fairy tale, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Supposedly, every morning, Snow White's evil stepmother would get up and ask that question, or one very similar, to the magic mirror that hung on the wall. The reason that she did that was, as the fairy tale goes, because the mirror never lied. But one day, when she asked that question of the mirror, to her surprise, her own personal reflection wasn't all that she thought it was. And that's when things got really ugly on several different levels, and especially within her own family. I want to begin tonight by reading to you from the original beginning, the original fairy tale put out by the Brothers Grimm in 1812. I was amazed when I found out how well it went along with some of the things we talked about in both the bulletin this morning as well as our morning sermon. The story begins as follows. Once upon a time in the middle of winter when the flakes of snow were falling like feathers from the sky, a queen sat at a window sewing, and the frame of the window was made of black ebony. And while she was sewing and looking out of the window at the snow, she pricked her finger with the needle, and three drops of blood fell upon the snow. And the red looked pretty upon the white snow, and she thought to herself, would that I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of the window frame. Soon after that she had a little daughter who was as white as snow, as red as blood, and her hair was as black as ebony, and she was therefore called Little Snow White. When the child was born, the queen died. After a year had passed, the king took to himself another wife. She was a beautiful woman, but proud and haughty. We talked about those sorts of things this morning. And she could not bear that anyone else could surpass her in beauty. She had a wonderful looking glass, and when she stood in front of it and looked at it, and looked at herself in it, she said, Looking glass, looking glass, on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? And the looking glass answered, Thou, O queen, art the fairest of all. And then she was satisfied, for she knew that the looking glass spoke the truth. But Snow White was growing up and grew more and more beautiful, and when she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as the day, and more beautiful than the queen herself. Once when the queen asked her looking glass, looking glass, looking glass, on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all, it answered, Thou art fairer than all who are here, lady queen, but more beautiful still is Snow White. The queen was shocked, and she turned yellow and green with envy. From that hour, whenever she looked at Snow White, her heart heaved in her breast, and she hated the girl so much. And envy and pride grew higher and higher in her heart like a weed, so that she had no peace, day or night. Now, the reason I read that is it struck me again, the words that we closed the lesson with this morning from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, where it says, 
in verses 14 through 16, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not lie and boast against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. In James chapter 3, the next few verses, verses 17 and 18, go on to say that such people have no peace in their lives. Certainly, we can see that reflected, pick that word purposefully, we can see that reflected in the story of Snow White. But James 3 is no fairy tale. Snow White is a fairy tale. James 3 is no fairy tale. And I just want to make something clear. I did not read that little introduction to Snow White because I believe that sermon time is better spent on fairy tales than scripture. I don't. I didn't read it either to prove that pagans often understand and write about how dangerous and deadly it is when evil, I'm sorry, when envy, pride, and jealousy are allowed to live in a person's heart, even though pagans do understand that. But the reason I did read that is to remind us of something tonight. There comes a time when all of us as individuals need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror at ourselves and not at anybody else. Preachers need to do it. Saints need to do it. The reason I read that about Snow White is to remind us tonight that comes a time we must all take a good, honest look at ourselves in the mirror, even though we may not like what we see, even though it may cause us a little discomfort, even though maybe even like a fairy tale, we might resort to evil rather than repentance in order to once again become the fairest in our own eyes, if not anyone else's. But no matter what our response is to the mirror, we need to look in it, even if we don't want to, because we might be a little afraid of what we see reflected. Did you know that that idea is throughout Scripture? Did you know that? Some of the most familiar texts in the Bible are about taking a good look in the mirror at ourselves. For example, Open your Bibles with me to Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. We spoke at length this morning about Matthew chapter 5. But in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, there's a passage that says you need to look in the mirror. You need to look in the mirror first, no matter what it reveals. Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what the message is there? Take a good look in the mirror before you go pointing out everybody else's imperfections. That's something that even the mighty King David had to do. That's something that even God, that God even forced the man after his own heart to do. Turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 12. God forced David to take a look in the mirror. David didn't want to do it, apparently. 
But he had to. In God's eyes. We know the story of David and Bathsheba. We know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. We, we know the story. And David was not willing to look at himself honestly in the mirror. So God helped him out. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to David, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And he grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against that man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the land because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. David, look in the mirror. You want to see the man who did this? Don't look around at everybody else. Don't look around for this wayfarer. Don't look around for all... David, you need to look in the mirror. He says, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives, and your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I'd have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up an adversary against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. You did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Take a look in the mirror, David. And you know what? Here's the beautiful thing about David. Sometimes we wonder about, how could David be a man after God's own heart with some of the things he did, especially this? Here's how. David took that look. David took that look and he said, you know what? That is one ugly reflection. I have really messed this up. Or, as the Bible puts it, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord's also put away your sin. You won't die. But because by this deed you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely, de surely die. And Nathan departed to his house. There was no escaping it. God said, David, you need to look in the mirror. When David saw how ugly his own reflection was spiritually, David repented hard. Read the 51st Psalm at some point. David, David came apart and it ripped him to the core of his being, what he had done. But he was honest enough to look in the mirror. Looking in the mirror is something that the first century Church of Christ in Rome was told by the Apostle Paul that they needed to do. The entire congregation was told they needed to take a look in the mirror. Turn to me to Romans chapter 2, would you please? 
Romans 2 from beginning to end is all about taking a good look in the mirror. In Romans 2, and we'll be reading most of the chapter tonight, but we're going to begin right now in verse 17. Paul writes to the Church of Christ there in first century Rome, made up largely of Jews, he said, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and make your boast in God. You know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. You're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and instructor the foolish teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. He said, look, you know you got the Bible. You know you got God's Word. That's who you are. You're God's people. You therefore, verse 21, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? He said, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to be honest. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You're going to accuse everybody else of this, you need to look in the mirror. You who say you do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? If you're going to claim that you keep God's law and that nobody else does and you're supposed to be this light teaching everybody else, listen, look in the mirror. Are you doing the same things that you're telling everybody else they shouldn't be doing? The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We often talk about how we live in a world today that no longer cares about God. We live in a culture that doesn't want to hear about God. We live in a, in a world of people that don't want to know and serve and put God first in their lives. Right? We do that on a fairly regular basis. Not just in the pulpit, in our conversations. I've heard, I've listened, I've been part of them, I know. We talk about how the world doesn't want to know or serve or put God first in their lives. But somewhere along the line, maybe, just maybe, it's time that we really and truly took a good, long, hard, honest look in the mirror for ourselves. And ask that mirror, are we the faithfulest of them all? Before condemning the world for not caring about God, maybe it's time we asked ourselves, as individuals, every one of us, preacher included, before we condemn them for not wanting to know God or talk about God, we need to ask ourselves, do we spend more time talking to our friends and family about the weather, about sports, and about social media? than we do about book, chapter, and verse, black and white text of God's Word. Instead of condemning the world for not wanting to know God, maybe we need to take some time and look in the mirror and ask ourselves what the difference is if, if we are willing to drive miles and miles and miles and miles for a sporting or entertainment event and spend lots of money in some faraway city 
But we would not even consider the possibility of maybe taking time off from work or driving miles and miles and miles and miles to a gospel meeting or a lectureship or some other faith-building spiritual event. Maybe before we condemn the world for being all about sports and entertainment, we need to ask ourselves, are we more about sports and entertainment than we are about spiritual events and spending the money on gas to go to them? Are we truly the faithfulest of them all? Before constantly judging and condemning the world for not wanting to serve God and put God first in their lives, maybe we need to look in the mirror and examine some of our own personal excuses for missing Bible studies, worship services, and, yes, service events like Monday Night for the Master and the Ladies Craft Group, both of which, by the way, are dying programs because of lack of interest in attendance. Before condemning the world around us and our current culture for not putting God first, maybe we need to ask ourselves if we, as individuals, are really and truly with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength ourselves seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, trusting that all these other things will be added to us. Or, are we just giving that lip service? Are we drawing near to God and saying, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me, I'm putting God first and I'm seeking God first. Are we just paying that lip service and honoring God with our lips while our own personal priorities and activities prove that our hearts too are not that much different than the world around us? Question. Could Romans chapter 2 verses 17 through 24 be paraphrased as follows to reflect on us? Indeed, you are called a member of the church of Christ and you rest on the Bible. You make your boast in God and that you know His will. And you approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the Word of God, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are walking in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, that you have the form of knowledge and truth in the Scriptures. You therefore who teach another. Does it not reflect on you? And do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should make seeking to know and to serve God and His church first in life above all else. Do you really and truly put that first? You who say, do not love the world nor the things of the world. Do you put the pursuit of worldly things first in your life? You who abhor foul language, do you slander your brethren when the opportunity is there to do so? You who make your boast in the word, do you dishonor God through your, through your rejection of its divine priorities? Is the name of God blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written? Could Romans 2 be paraphrased that way? That's what we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves. Looking in the mirror means really examining and looking closely at ourselves and our attitudes, our actions, our motives, and our priorities before condemning anybody else for doing no different 
than we are actually doing and thinking maybe we can get away with it just because we're members of the Lord's church. That's what Romans 2 is all about. Look in beginning in verse 1. Romans 2 and verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. Don't think I'm picking on you tonight, because I'm not. I want you to understand that this message I'm giving you is one that was Paul put to the first century church Christ in Rome himself. He's, he's, he asked them the same thing. He didn't use the 1812 fairy tale, because, you know, it was a lot of centuries away from being written. But his message is the same to them. He said, you who, you are inexcusable when you judge others, and you're doing the same things. He says, verse 2, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And that means all of them, whether you're in the church or out. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, and you doing the same, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or, you or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to members of the church of Christ in Rome. And he says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Doesn't matter, he says, it's going to be about what you've done. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, sounds just like James. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there's going to be indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's no partiality with God. God's not going to condemn the pagan who's going out and doing all kinds of things that are not putting God first. And then give the Christian a free pass on those things who's, who's not putting God first either. That would be to make God a respecter of persons. Yes, God's grace is there for us. God's love is there for us. God's willingness to forgive us is there. But we need to be making the effort at the same time. We can't just pass everything off. We're going to have to put God first. And for those mistakes we make and those flaws we have and those errors in judgment we make and those dumb things we sometimes do, me included, God's grace is there for us. But we've got to be putting in the effort to be different. We can't condemn the world for, for not putting God first and making Him top priority if we're not willing to do the same thing. That's the message Paul's given the Roman church. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers. Boy, does that sound like James chapter 1, yes of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Listen, what Paul's point is, is this. Paul's point here is this. Look, when people out there 
do the right thing even though they don't know what God said to do necessarily and they don't have the Bible because they don't look in it but they do good things and they do godly things he said that that's the right thing to do and when when they do it and people in the church aren't willing to do even as much as somebody outside the church he said that ain't right that's his point that's the point he's making here they're a law unto themselves and they'll be judged by that law now I'm not saying don't don't run home and say Doug said I don't have to be baptized to be saved remember the church that's not my point at all it's not Paul's point it's not the point I'm making point I am making is this when we in the church are going to say that the world around us doesn't care about God and yet there are people that are not Christians that are doing more godly things than some of us something's wrong that's the point I am making and we need to look in the mirror and say you know what before I complain that that good person out there doesn't have the right priorities they're doing more than I'm doing something's got to change and that's the message Paul's giving them you know what he's telling them better look in the mirror in verse 25 of Romans 2 where we've already read the middle part it says this for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law but if you are a breaker of the law your circumcision has become uncircumcision Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, or a transgression of the law? What's Paul's point? Paul's point is, look, when people who don't know God are doing more godly stuff than the people that know God, something's wrong. There's a problem. He says, church, or the Jews here, you need to look in the mirror. And you need to understand that, yes, even though you have the written code, and even though you have circumcision, as it were, or we could apply this to the church, even though you have the New Testament, and you've been baptized, you still need to look in the mirror, because if that terrible world out there, where nobody cares about God, is doing more godly stuff, and they're making godly stuff more of a priority than you who ought to know better, something's wrong. You need to change it. So the question tonight is, have we who have been baptized really put that old man of sin along with all of his worldly attitudes and pursuits to death? Have we truly risen to walk in newness of life? Are we really seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And there's more to that than just coming to church on Sunday. Are we doing that? Have we made... Our top priority, serving God and His saints. Have we done that? Or are we just criticizing those outside and condemning others who don't even know God when they're serving God more than we are? Brethren, Paul told the church in Rome they needed to look in the mirror. And we need to, as his church, I don't care where you are on this planet, New Zealand for all I care. The church needs to every so often, the members, every so often need to take a look in the mirror no matter what congregation. Church, it is time to take a good long hard look into the mirror of scripture on a personal level. And it's time to stop criticizing the world around us for not putting God first. And always finding fault with the world out there because they're not putting God first. Until and unless every one of us makes sure that we have decided 
and show by our actions that we are putting God first in all things. Let's stop condemning them for not doing what they ought to unless we're sure we're doing what we ought to be. It's not my message. That's God's message. Open your Bibles to the book of James. I want to take you to two final passages before we close tonight. I want you to understand before anybody gets upset at me that this is just scripture. You'd be upset with me if you want, I guess, but you better be upset with Paul and James and God as well. Same message James told his brethren. Listen to what he said. James 1, beginning at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, notice he's talking to the church, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the... It's more than just listening to the word on Sunday. It's more than just listening to the... It's doing something with it. It's doing what it says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Brethren, we can go to the gospel meetings, we can go to the lectureships, we can come to church twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday and any other time the church is in session. We can hear the word of God for 50 years, but if we're not doing it, we, might, we wasted our time. If we just go home on Sunday night and it's all, well, church is over, and you know, so that's the end of the, you know, I don't have to worry about the Bible again for, and... I'm not saying anybody does that, but if that's what's done, why bother? James' point is, don't just be hearers deceiving yourselves. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 7. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face, guess where, in a mirror. For he observes himself, hmm, he observes himself, walks away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, like a mirror, he's used a mirror as an illustration. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What's his point? His point is this. When we look in the mirror, spiritually speaking, and we see what God has done for us because of the sinner that we were. When we see that all of our own righteousness is as filthy rags. When we see that our sin, like David did, deserves hell. And we're honest about what we see in the mirror as we look at ourselves. We're going to be so grateful for the grace of God, there's going to be no stopping us from being the Christian we ought to be. That's his message. He said, don't walk away from understanding what you are, who you are, where you were headed. Don't let pride get in the way. Understand that you were a sinner and that you're only saved by the grace of God. When you look into that perfect law of liberty, you continue in that, in that listening to God's word and doing it because you've not forgotten 
who you were and where you were headed, you will be a doer of the work. You remember what Paul said about the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15.10? Remember what he said? Look there with me. One verse and it's worth it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Paul was always looking in the mirror. He was always looking at the mirror in the mirror at the sinner that he was. He was looking at all of that he had done. I don't know how Paul slept at night hearing in his head or knowing about some of the cries of some of those Christians that he had put to death. I don't know how he did it. But he was willing to look in that mirror. And this is what he says. In 1 Corinthians 15.10 he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul said, I'll tell you what. I am so grateful for the grace of God. I can't do enough. I can't serve enough. I can't go enough. I cannot make the kingdom enough of a top priority in my life, no matter what I do, to ever repay God for the grace that he showed this guy. I know who this guy is. Paul said in a few verses before that, he said, I persecuted the church of God. James's message, look into the mirror and don't forget what you see with a good, honest look. That'll make you all the more grateful for the grace of God. Don't ever forget it. It'll make you a doer of the work, verse 25, and it will bless you. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, his religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He said, you better look in the mirror every day and make sure that's who you are. Mirror, mirror. In the book. Help us all to take a look. To see the truth and understand who is most faithful in the land. And if it is found, our reflection is blurred, then help us, dear Lord, to repent as we've heard. We began this evening's lesson with the story of Snow White. I want to end tonight's lesson with a text on becoming as white as snow. Turn to me to Isaiah chapter 1 as we conclude. In Isaiah chapter 1, God was trying to force his people to look in the mirror. To look in the mirror and become the people that he would empower them and strengthen them and guide them into being, if only they'd listen. And he says this in verse 16. Wash yourselves. He says in verse 15, let's start at 15. When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. We covered this just recently in our Wednesday night class about whose prayers God hears. He says in verse 16, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. You're ugly in that mirror. Your actions are not what they ought to be. You've got to look and you've got to understand how you look and you've got to get cleaned up here. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fathers, plead for the widow. Come now, God says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is so good. God is so incredibly, awesomely, infinitely good. God, as we talked about in this morning's lesson, is just waiting, just ready. Just, just, just cannot be eager enough to work with us. To forgive us when we fail. To pick us up when we fall. To make us so much more than we've ever been. To make us what we need to be in His eyes. All we've got to do is ask Him for that help. And it begins by all of us looking in the mirror. Now, a lot of you may be doing everything you possibly can, and some of you are, are, are serving the Lord so hard, I don't know how you do it. But every one of us needs to look in the mirror and say, Okay, Lord, I want to seek the kingdom first. I want you to be my top priority in life. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing that maybe, maybe in this area over here, I got some blemishes over here. I got some bad spots on that side. What am I going to do with those? You know, maybe I didn't get all the spots this morning when I shaved. You know, it's a little ugly over here. I need to fix that. God says we need to look in the mirror and decide if we are truly seeking the kingdom of God first. If we are truly making God our top priority and serving His church, His people, Him, studying all those things we're supposed to be doing. And God help us, please, not to always look at everybody else on the outside and say, what a terrible world this is. They're not putting God first. Especially if we within our own lives are guilty of the same thing because if anybody ought to know better it's those of us who have the Lord just look in the mirror I've got to I won't ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do I've got to and I pray this night you will as well tonight if the church can help in any way pray for you have you baptized into Christ if there's anything like that we can help with hey that center aisle is wide open if you need to make a walk down it please do so now as we stand and sing